Welcome to the Entertainment Engine. Hello, my name is Peter Moore. And I'm Bex Gregory. And welcome to the next episode of the Entertainment Engine. The idea behind this podcast is to provide clarity and information on the entertainment industry for new bands and artists as well as existing creative industry people who are looking just to brush up on their knowledge. You can listen to us on all streaming platforms and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. If you want to learn more about what we do on a day-to-day basis, then please visit our website, seamlessentertainment.co.uk. Each week, we'll be bringing you an in-depth area of the entertainment industry. Also on the show... Bex has the facts of the day and a question for this week for our listeners. And now we are joined by a very special guest this week, American singer-songwriter and guitarist Jesse Kinch. Jesse was the first winner of the American ABC TV series of Rising Star, which was presented by Josh Groban. And the panel of judges were Kesha, Brad Paisley and Ludacris. Jesse is part of a new generation of young talent who want to bring rock and roll back to its glory days. Here's the chat we had with Jesse earlier this week. Welcome to the Entertainment Engine. Um, and my very special guest this week is US singer songwriter Jesse Kinch. Good afternoon, Jesse. Good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm feeling good, man. It's a beautiful, sunny day here on Long Island, New York. And uh, it's really nice to meet you both. Yes, yeah, really great to have you on the show, Jesse. Of course. And obviously, you've been following what you've been doing, and it's just really your energy and enthusiasm, Jesse. It just takes me back to, you know, want to start back in the business again. And I think, you know, I applaud you for your energy, enthusiasm, and just just good energy, really, man. Coming into the business, it's really cool to see. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. So, how did you start in the music industry, Jesse? And just tell us a little about about your journey. Well. My journey started very, very young, um, and this goes back to when I was six years old, and I discovered an old acoustic guitar in the basement of my home. And uh, when that happened, my my father, you know, taught me a few chords, started introducing me to some of the classic music that he listened to, like you know, the, the stuff in his generation. You know, I, I'm sure stuff yeah, you yeah. listened to, like you know, the '60s rock, uh, the '70s rock. Um, and I started. Uh, I began to have a passion for that kind of music because uh, I, uh, even at that age, I could hear such artistry and passion in not not just only the music side of it, but the the, the singing. Um, and a lot of people would be surprised because they they see that I'm a uh, a rock artist and I have done done mostly rock. Um, but one of my biggest influences when I was younger. Um, was uh, Sarah Brightman, who is actually from England. I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, her her music was such a, a big influence on me. Uh, and not just the way she sang, but it's also the arrangements, uh, the musical arrangements. They're just exquisite. Mm. Um, and that really influenced the way that I write ballads now. Um, wow. and the way, I, and the way I arrange my ballads and including the string parts to my ballads that her music was such a huge influence on that. Um, and th- and that goes back to, I mean, being in the car seat when I was six years old and my parents going from, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, ACDC and then putting on the Sarah Brightman cassette tape, you know, uh, 
this 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 goes back a long time. <laughs> so um, I I've had a you know a wide uh, a variety of influences, and um, and that really comes out in my music today. Um, but in, in terms of getting started, um, I think that things really started for me when I began to sing at the age of eleven, and. Um, I began to perform in clubs in New York City and Long Island, uh, in fronting my own band. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I, even at that young age, you know, ten, eleven, twelve years old, I was already out uh, performing in in clubs, doing what twenty-five year olds were doing. Yeah. So, uh, so it was uh, quite a learning experience for me because uh, at that age, I I was playing with two seasoned musicians two guys that toured with uh, Ingve Malmsteen, Steve Vai. Uh, okay. And so I was really learning off of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and I, I think that's a piece of advice for any musician to play with people who are better than you. And, you know, you just, just learn off of them. Be a sponge, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And those guys are so technical as well, aren't they? How they play. So. Yes, especially the style they play. Because they, they, the guys I was playing with came more from a progressive rock uh, era and, and, and uh, you know, they, they, that's, that's the kind of stuff they were doing. Um, yeah. So they were so tight and mm-hmm. I got to learn a lot from them. So, you know, I was doing all that throughout my teens. Uh, I, even, I even performed in an off-Broadway musical uh, back then. Um, so just throughout my childhood and my teens, I, I had a lot of performing experience mm. And also, that's when I started writing as well. So uh, uh, did, I've, I've been doing this for quite a long time, even though I'm only 26 years old. Yeah, it's like you say, you know, getting out there from a young age and having that experience, you know, if you've been in musicals and, and it's, it's, you know, it's a really diverse area to be in as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I was even, I got to be honest with you, even before I was fronting my own band in, in, in clubs in New York City, I was playing my guitar uh in my 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 jordan shorts uh in in little pubs and bars uh, uh in long island yeah when i was eight years old my my, my parents got, got me into a few places to play just just play my guitar it was before i even started singing so that's brilliant yeah i mean i mean obviously where you have been you know doing it for many many years now so i mean what challenges have you faced working in the music industry so far would you say well, I have to say the biggest challenge for me, um, just over the past ten years, is something I've I've uh, learned is is trying to get a competent team around me, you know, uh, a, a team of doers with with plans that make sense. Um, yeah. You know, sadly, I've put a lot of trust and faith in people who promised me the world but never came close to delivering. Delivering is the key word. Delivering on their promises. Yeah. Um, you know, without getting into any specifics, uh, so just so much money and time were mm-hmm. wasted on things that really made no sense career direction-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I could literally pull my hair out with some of the things that have happened and some of the decisions that have been made uh, when you put your, your faith and trust in the people uh, and you just feel that you have to go along with them because it's the right thing to do. Uh, but And... and Along the way, certain things have never made sense to me uh, d- direction-wise, like I said. 
Um, so I did a few really great things over the past, you know, six years since I've won the TV show, which we'll get into. But uh, there, there have been a lot of mistakes uh, made and, and time wasted. That's all I have to say. And it's just mm. right now, it's just about getting a real competent team around me that could, uh, you know, help me get to where I, I, I need and want to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think that really echoes as well, Jesse. I, I can hear it in your voice. And this is one of the reasons why Bex and I actually started the podcast, because just echoing you as an artist and everything that we've done and, you know, we've tried to do and been through you know, through the mill and good times and bad times. Through COVID, really, we felt it was important to actually think, well, hang on a minute, maybe if we do a podcast and promote what we do, would it work? Would it not work? And lucky enough and it, it's really paying off so i really echo what you're saying i think if we can help and be a catalyst and sort of help people move forward with our experience and i think you know it's a good thing and strength in numbers is really important you've got to have a good team like you've echoed solid people that actually know what they're doing to be honest uh, you know you are correct because i mean as an artist I and mean, obviously there are so many so many things you can do to promote yourself in this day and age i mean you have uh, Instagram, you have Facebook, you have Twitter, you have YouTube, you have, there, there are just so many outlets for artists to promote themselves. But in, in reality, there, there still is a reality that you need a team behind you if you want to get, uh, you know, further along in your career. It's just the truth. You can't do everything on your own. You can make, no. I mean, you can make no. music, you can make music in your house. You can promote yourself in whatever site you want to do, but uh, you know, it, just, just like the old days, you see, some things never change. You still need that team. Yeah, it's getting your music out there to the right places and to the right people. To the to the to the masses, yeah. you know. I mean, it's it's not easy for one person just to sit in their house and try to get their music out to millions of people. That's not, you know, that's no, not. Re- no, it, yeah. it's tough, especially you know, you're an artist in your own right. But even though you're writing, you know, you you, you can't be literally a one man band. <laughs> you know, no pun intended. But no, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got to be honest with you that you, you wouldn't believe the things that, you know, the contracts are to sign. I mean, it's not people think you just sign with a record label. It's like you have to sign with a record label. Then you realize you need a manager. Then you realize you need a publicist. Then you realize you need a booking agent. Then you realize you need uh, yeah, uh, yeah. A, a, someone to manage your money, uh, you know, an accountant. It's like you, mm. you, an artist has to focus on making great art. You know, and it's it's like you can't just you can't focus on all these different things. I mean, it's good. It's definitely a good idea and a lucrative decision to be a good businessman. I mean, that's something I'm definitely learning. Uh, but but just to to try to be everywhere and do everything is impossible. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's good as an artist, isn't it, to to understand all the different areas and what it takes to actually get you know product out there to the masses and all the different steps and areas but like you say you know you do need to have that creative hat you know because otherwise it causes more you know stress levels for yourself as well because you think oh I'm panicking I've got this album what am I going to do I need the right team you know right well you know the good thing is it's it it definitely is a good idea to understand the business side and the business aspect of things. Cause I, yes. I mean, I've had so much experience dealing with people and just, just in general, the business side of things other than, other than me just going out and performing and, and writing songs, you know, um, 
And I think this is important for any artist. You, you have to understand the business side because you are going to get ripped off and taken advantage of by uh, uh, a lot of people if you don't understand that side. And if you're not, if you're not aware of your contracts, and if you don't have a good lawyer, um, it, it, you know, you're going to go down a bad path. Yeah, yeah. Totally. It's, it's so true, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. Just getting back onto your creative sort of streak. I mean, what's your creative sort of process like? Have you been able to write and record much during the whole lockdown period at all? Any inspiration? Yeah. Well, I, I'm really glad you asked that question because I've, um, I don't know why it just happened all of a sudden, you know, certain things just come together in your mind. But uh, during this COVID pandemic, um, I just, since the studios were closed and I wasn't outperforming, I was kind of home. So I actually decided to invest in uh, an analog mixing board uh, from my, a 24-track analog mixing board. And I got a, wow. iMac, an iMac computer and Pro Tools, which is the industry standard for recording music. So I, I've... I've had so many new songs that I've written over the past two years, actually. Just a lot of songs. And I, right before the pandemic, I was actually planning on going into the studio uh, and, and maybe recording an EP's worth of songs. But, you know, obviously when March came around, I realized that that wasn't going to happen this year. Yes. So I decided to just invest, my, invest in a real mixing boards, you know, uh, Pro Tools, get some studio monitors and, uh, you know, get to work, start recording music myself. Um, That's it. So, so, Be more self-sufficient. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, so I, I've been doing that and uh, that that's kind of what I've been up to during the COVID pandemic. Yeah, no, it's really interesting, Jesse, because when you're saying about analog um, board, one of the studios I've worked with for years, a very good friend of mine, I have to send you a, a link, actually, Um they use reel-to-reel tapes, a quarter-inch tape. Right. Um, just phenomenal. The sound that comes out of this little studio, it's a tiny little studio. You wouldn't know the studio is there. It's absolutely phenomenal. And the producers and the engineers always said to me, they can make a great singer sound absolutely fantastic, but a bad singer sound worse. And it's really true because tape doesn't lie. and analog doesn't lie. It really does pick out the flaws. And it's just, just really interesting you said that because I think there's a lot to be said for the... I'm not safe for the old kit, but it's just it's just really good kit to be honest mm. with you. Well, I have to I have to tell you, you know, I, I I've been having a lot of uh, learning experiences with uh, Pro Tools and learning how to use the, uh, which is what people do now. They they use uh, the their analog mixing board with Pro Tools. Basically, you're using the mixing board as an interface, and then you're recording into Pro Tools that the 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 audio that you're recording into the Mixing board is going into Pro Tools and recording into Pro Tools, um, yeah. and uh, it, you, you get—I mean, you get great quality, great quality. And one of the most amazing things I find about Pro Tools is that you have something called plugins, which emulate uh, real recording equipment. So, you know, an, an artist that's recording in their home doesn't have to go out and buy a $3,000 or, you know, a $2,000 uh, Universal Audio 1176 compressor. You know, no. we, we, can, we can go and use uh, an emulation of the 1176 in, uh, in Pro Tools 
and you're still you're still getting great quality. I mean, no matter what, you're going to get a great product. If whether you're doing just strictly analog, or you're going into Pro Tools. Um, I mean, that there's great reverb uh, uh, plugins in, in Pro Tools that you can use that sound like uh, you know the old Lexicon reverb uh, uh, things uh, yeah, machines yeah, yeah. that they used to have. Yeah. Um, they they sound great. I mean, and there's 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 great uh, there's great I mean, drum plugins where you can, uh, they have real uh, drum uh, drum sounds that were recorded in, say, Abbey Road Studios, and you can, you have them in your, in your Pro Tools, and you can record the drums through the keyboard. It's, it's pretty, pretty incredible. There's, there's just so many things you can do now uh, as an independent artist just on your, on, your, on your little mixing board at home and in Pro Tools. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, even nowadays, you know, you don't even need to go out and buy, say, uh, a three thousand dollar Neumann U eighty seven. I mean, you can just maybe get a four to five hundred dollar microphone. Uh, still has to be a condenser microphone, uh, and you and you can get great quality recordings. Um, that's that's the reality now. So the, you know, most people my age don't have a hundred thousand dollar recording budget. You know, we we we're just strictly on. On what we have uh, yeah. right right in front of us, you know. So um, yeah. it, it's it, it definitely uh, was one of the best investments I ever made, you know. Yeah, definitely. And it it I mean, like you say, through lockdown, it, with everybody shut down as we are, you know, at least you, it's not stopped your creative process. You know, you've been able to get things done. You got you've got some ideas coming. I mean, how many sort of songs have you got in the works at the moment? Are you looking at an album? Do you think, or is it is it like an EP or you know, I am not quite sure exactly what I want to do yet. Uh, I'm thinking maybe I should go with an EP at this point. Um, but I've written uh, probably... I, right now, I probably have, you know, 12 songs that I really think are very, very strong and are ready to go. That's great. Um, so that that's, that's, that's an album's worth of songs, but... I'm not sure if I'm going to go the LP route or, or just go with the EP route for now. I'm, I'm, I'm not, haven't decided on that yet. Yeah, I mean, it, anything's possible, isn't it? I mean, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Having creative control and, you know, with your fans, you know, do you, do you ever ask them about what they like to see and what they want from you? Do you sort of have quite a lot of interaction with them on it? Well, I, I, I don't even need to ask them. They, they let me know every day. <laughs> do they? They, they they sure do they they let me know every day jesse when's the new music coming out jesse when are you playing your next show are you coming to ohio are you coming to florida are you coming it's great you know i i love it I, it, it it uh you know it definitely uh hasn't quieted down even since the the, the tv show i think just sort of staying the creative process jesse which i think you know all with all in us and really exciting Picking up on your latest music video, I'm Not Like Everybody Else, I see you were on top of a building near the Empire State Building, and that was really cool. So was this a friend's place, or did you have to get a permit, or did you just go up there and do the song? Well, how, how did that come about? So this is, a, this is a cool story. It's actually a scary story for me, but I, I, I will, <laughs> I will, I will uh, let you in on it. But we actually we, we shot three mu music videos um we shot uh i'm not like everybody else uh, my cover of billy jean and the original song uh preaching like the pope and the the location was actually chosen 
we, we were looking, my record label and I were looking for a location to shoot music videos. We weren't sure where we wanted to do it. And we actually found a rooftop that is actually a, a studio for and a, a shooting area for models, for musicians, uh, you know, a- anyone that's doing any kind of filming. And uh, it's it, it was a studio in I think I believe it was Chelsea. That was the area of the New uh, of New York City. Okay. And and my record label and video producer uh, both both chose the location. So uh, we I drove in with a bunch of my my band members, my brother, uh, and and it ended up being a little bit of a scary experience because um, the basically I was. I don't even know how many stories up I was, but I was very, very high up. Um, uh, a, a scary, a scary kind of height. Uh, uh, and I actually discovered that I have a fear of heights. I didn't even know it. Uh, we, we shot, the, fir- the first thing we did was we shot Preaching Like the Pope, um, which was on the first, the first level of the high building, uh, the, the roof, the first level of the roof. So that was okay. But then uh, we had to move on to a song called Billie Jean. And they wanted me to climb up about 50 feet up a ladder and onto the second roof of the building. Um, and j- wow. just, cl- just climbing up the ladder, I was so like deathly afraid. I mean, if, if you fell off this ladder, you were falling to your death. I wow. mean, there was, no, there was no question. And I... I the worst thing I did was when I was climbing up the ladder, I looked back down and I almost like my stomach just like, I had butterflies in my stomach. Mm. You know? Yeah, you just um, froze. <laughs> exactly. And then when I was on the final, you know, the final part of the ladder, I was, I it, literally, I was as slow as a snail going up and climbing onto that roof. It was just, oh. it was crazy. And then to film the Billie Jean music video, I had to sit on the, the edge of the building. The, the edge of the roof and even though i had my my feet and my legs on the roof i was so afraid just of sitting on the edge of the roof i can't explain the feeling it was just like <laughs> i have to get off this, this get out of this area so when you when people look at the me sitting on the edge of the roof singing billy jean they don't even realize that inside i'm very very petrified <laughs> that's actually a really cool story and sometimes don't realize what you face until you actually face it and you know that's that's actually quite scary so you won't be going up big buildings anytime i don't think i'm gonna be uh no i don't think i'm gonna be doing any rooftop uh video shoots anytime (laughs) soon (laughs) but yeah jesse so i mean obviously i know you you've got a lot of influences and you can hear it in your in your music and your style but who who would you actually most like to collaborate in the music industry Mm, you know what I have to say, there's actually someone that's from the UK that I, I've I've really loved, uh, probably just over the past ten years. There's a singer named Duffy. Oh yeah, okay, Duffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, yeah, she's got a great voice. Yeah, you know what? It was just something about. I mean, that that album Rock Ferry really blew me away. It was just this the song the songwriting. I you just don't hear songwriting like that anymore. Um, mm. you know, I mean, I know Mercy was her big hit and everything, but yeah. my favorite songs were Stepping Stone and okay. Uh, um, I really love the song called Distant Dreamer, which I actually covered. I recorded that in my basement. Um, but songs like that, you know, mm. Warwick Avenue, I think 
you just don't hear songs like that anymore. And she's definitely someone I'd like to collaborate with. I, I've always wanted to like sing a song with her, um, just because we, we we definitely have a lot of the same influences dating back to this, you know the early '60s. Um, and I and obviously you know I, I'm I'm hoping she's going to come out of retirement because I know that yeah. she's had had a very painful experience with. Uh, I'm sure you've heard heard about the things that have happened to her. Yes. Yes. And, um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's tragic, but. Uh, I'm hoping that she comes out uh, and yeah. out of retirement and starts making music again. Yeah, because she is a real talent, actually. I mean, yeah, it would be a great um, collaboration with you both. You can hear, you know, your sound and her sound. It would really work, yeah, intertwine really well, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I, th- I did I did see her perform, actually, Jesse, quite a long time ago. It was a friend of mine, one of the managers I used to work with, and this was before she was signed, and um, it was actually at um, Ballon in London. And... Yeah, she was really good then. She was good then as she was today. So I think, yeah, I I, I agree with it. It'd be nice for her to come out of retirement because I think there's when she puts out an album, I think it would be a pretty cool album. You know, maybe a collaboration. Yeah, you never know. Hey, you, you never know. And and also, I I guess I'm uh, I, I'm really li- liking UK artists because I have another that's an artist I really like. I don't know if you've heard of him, but there's a guy named uh, Ben Sim, um, who I've really re- really really admired. A great great songwriter. Um, okay. Yeah, great, great songwriter from England, uh, who who has performed all around the world, actually. Um, but I, I, I've always, always liked his music, and I, I'm actually somewhat friends with him a little bit uh, uh, on the j- just on the internet, and uh, okay. we, we've shared each other's music, and we're, we're fans of each other, and uh, that's that's definitely someone I'd I'd like to collaborate with. Um, even, I, a lot of people haven't heard of him, but he's but he's. He's uh he's he sold uh I think he sold like over fifty thousand albums that's for sure. Well, that's oh, wow. I mean that's, that's no right. mean feat in today's world. That's that's really really positive. And I think again it's really interesting, Jesse, because your collaboration with the UK. It's good to see that the US and the UK are still strong as ever, really, because we're obviously running over the pond as we always say. And um, I think it's it's always our relationship's always going to be very strong and positive. I think. It's been great. Uh, I, I think it's been great, you know, uh, since like uh, the the end of the 1700s. I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> which is a lot. <laughs> which long is a time. long time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's quite a long time. I think we've had a few hundred years to mend our uh, relationship. Yeah, I, I, I think we're all. Good. I think people can just gather around and have a pint and have a cup of tea or just have a chat. I think really, it's just we're all the yeah. same. Really, we just speak different languages. Really. Um, but everybody, everybody's the same, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think you learn that, you know, the more you travel and the more you get get around, you realize that things things aren't, places and people are not as different as you think they are, you know? Um, I guess when, you, when you're when you living in one area or as a child, you think that, you know, uh, even another state is like uh, living on, a, going to another planet or something. And it's just, it's not really, I mean, people have different accents and people have, different you know uh ways of life and cultures and um yeah and you know not everyone i mean the the, the obviously not everyone likes everyone's culture and that's you know and that that happens i mean that's human nature but uh you know the more you get out the more you respect people's cultures and uh and res- you know just respect everything all all kinds of people and you, re- you realize that uh you know people aren't as different as you think they are no, and, and, I, and I think just a, a funny little story for me, Jesse. I used to do a lot of the music seminars in, in the States, Los Angeles and New York, and I went to do the indie labels, meet the major labels in New York, and 
I ended up living out there for two years. So I was just off of 42nd Street. I lived in a QT hotel. Friends of mine owned it. So I got a great affinity with New York, really, because I think for me, London and New York really is, is music, to be honest with you. It's just great places to be. And Bleecker Street was phenomenal. I used to see some phenomenal acts playing Bleecker. You know what? I got to say the one sad thing about New York City now is a lot of the big studios that used to be here that were very prominent back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, they're, they're closing. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all closed. I mean, uh, I mean one, one big studio here, which is great, uh, and it is, I still haven't been there, but I've heard great things about it. And I've seen pictures on the internet. There's a studio. It was called it was called Avatar, and now it changed its name. I think it's owned by Berkeley, okay. uh, which is which is a college in Bo- a big music college in Boston. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's it's I I can't think of the name. It but it's uh it's a big big studio with big wood rooms and big music uh, mixing boards. It's a gorgeous studio, and that's that's one of the best studios in New York City right now. Oh wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like you say, it's scary what's happened to the world and the way things have happened. And I suppose really touching on that, what what would you say has been the best resources that helped you on your way through the music industry? What is, is there one thing or is there several things that's helped you to, to this point? Okay, I, I think there's two things. I think I think in my, my self-belief has really gotten me as as far as I've gotten so far. Because without that, you really have nothing. If you don't have faith in yourself and you... And you're, if you're not happy with what you see in the mirror, I mean, that, that's, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. You have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in what you're doing. You know, that, that's, that's one thing. Uh, and, the, and the other thing is strong family support and love. You know, I've always been lucky uh, because I've had a great family around me and people who have loved me and supported my dreams since I was a child. That's good. Um, you know, I, I, my, my mother and father have always been very supportive of me and have been the reason why I've gotten my first opportunities when I was a child. And they're the reason why I was going out and performing in clubs in New York City when I was 11 and 12 years old. Yeah. I mean, they, they were the ones who fought for me uh, and, and made sure that people, club owners, weren't biased against me just because I was a kid. They, they, mm-hmm. would, they were... Uh, kind of like always trying to sell me to people uh you know club owners or whatever and and then because of them i i would get these opportunities um and 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 just as a as a boy um i i always had a great male figure to look up to um who is my father you know Uh, um and i think that's one of the i think that's one of the most important things that a boy can have especially if you're in the entertainment industry, um, just someone, someone that can keep you, you know, a male figure that can keep you grounded and focused, um, and making sure that you make all the right decisions, uh, and especially fighting for me when I couldn't fight for myself when I was a teenager. I mean, it's not easy for a teenager to make business decisions and, and, you know, and, and, fight people along the way that you know that, that <laughs> unfortunately sometimes <laughs> you, you know you get in these situations and um it's it, it, it's kind of been easy for me because i i have i had that figure in my life since i was a, a boy that could sometimes fight my battles for me but 
Um, you know, now at my age of 26, I've learned from my father. Now I, I've been moving on to, <laughs> to handling myself more, um, which is great. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I've, I, I've had a lot of great people in my life, uh, but and, and most importantly, just family to, to support me and, and guide me in the right direction. Yeah, it is so important, isn't it, to have the right people around you, especially from a young age as well. Like you say, guiding you along the way and, you know, and um, just looking at some of the things that you've done, you know, obviously with your getting onto the TV show that you won, obviously Rising Star. And I mean, getting into that, I expect your, you know, your parents were obviously massive supporters um, of that for you. But I mean, how was that experience, obviously winning the show and, and actually being then going on to being signed to like major labels and how was all of that, you know, experience, you know, did, did you, did you enjoy it? Well, the show experience was one, one of the best. Um, the, the major label experience was one of the worst. So, right. Um, okay. I will start with the, the great experience, which, which was the show. Um, that kind of happened just very, very suddenly. It was, uh, I think it was spring of, it was spring of 2014, about March or April. And I got an email from a casting director uh, and she was saying that she's uh, working for a new show called Rising Star. It's going to be on TV this summer, uh, ABC, which is a big, big network here in America. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she asked me if I wanted to come to Boston and audition uh, in front of the executive producer, who is actually from, from the UK. His name is Ken Warwick. Um, okay. he, was the yeah. he was actually the producer of American Idol with, with Nigel uh, Lithgow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So him, him and Nigel produced uh, uh, American Idol together, and yeah. Ken, Ken moved on to doing uh, uh, America's Got Talent, and he was on Rising Star. So I, I actually uh, drove up to Boston uh, and auditioned right, you know, in front of Ken, and uh, I, I'll never forget what he said. He's like, "Oh, about, about bloody time, uh, a, a rock and roll, <laughs> you know, we finally found a rock and roll singer." And um, then he said, he said, that was fantastic. And he said, you know, I want to send you to L.A. to, to audition in front of uh, the ABC television executives and the, the Dick Clark Productions people. So they, they flew me to L.A., uh, uh, had me stay in a hotel with all the I, I met a bunch of the contestants that I, I would uh, go on to have uh, friendships with over this over that whole summer. Um, and I. I auditioned in front of all the TV executives and I, I get a call the next morning in my hotel room. They said, Jesse, you're on the show, go home for about two weeks and then you got to come and uh, we're going to start uh, doing live, live airings of the show. Um, so it was, it was very, very quick. It was just, uh, it, it was amazing. And uh, I, I ended up auditioning uh, on live on TV with the song that, I sang in front of the producer at first in Boston, which was I Put a Spell on You uh, by, by Screaming Jay Hawkins, which is a, yeah, yeah. an yeah. old, first of all, that's an old R&B song going back to the 50s. That's by uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins. But I actually fell in love with the song by hearing Creedence Clearwater Revival's version. Yes. Um, yeah. when I, I probably, I've known that version since I was eight or nine years old. I, mean, I, I, I love that. Um, so I auditioned with that uh, uh, that was my first performance on TV, and I, I think I think I got it ninety two percent on that. That that was the wow. Uh, that was how how much the bar was raised. I mean, I, I think wow. you, it, if you paid attention to the format of the show, you had to raise the wall. If you got past yeah. seventy, yeah. 
if you got past 70% of the vote, then the wall would raise and you'd make it to the, to the next round. And I, that, that night when I sang, I put a spell on you, I got uh, 92%. Wow. And, and, the, the, and the funny thing is, I, I, I'll never forget sitting in the green room right, right before I was going on uh, to, to sing on, on national TV for the first time. Uh, I remember my dad said, you know what, Jess, I think you're going to get the highest score of the night. And he just, and I just said, don't, don't jinx anything. Don't, don't, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to talk. I just want to sing. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to jinx anything. He said, trust me, you're going to get a really high score. So, and, and, you know, I, I don't usually like people telling me things like that uh, before I perform. I don't, I don't like my ego getting in the way uh, when I perform or if I'm doing something. Um, I just like everything to be natural. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I ended up getting 92% the night. And then I went on. I sang Whippin' Post for the second, you know, Whippin' Post by the Allman Brothers. Great, great yeah. classic rock song. Uh, that yeah. was my yeah, second performance. Um, and there, there was a lot of time in between those f- first two performances. I mean, uh, after I sang I Put a Spell on You, I had like a two-week break. So uh, I basically, for those two weeks in between I Put a Spell on You and Whippin' Post, I was just hanging out with all the other contestants, you know, going around LA, going to the beach, doing whatever, you know? So um, it was kind of, I had some, you know, leisure time and it, it was great. And then I did Whip and Post and I, I went on to sing Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes. Yeah, um, great band. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I did um, Billy Jean by, by Michael Jackson in the style of Chris Cornell. Wow. Um, and then I, yeah. won, I won the show uh, singing Love Rain or Me by The Who and Fortunate Son by Creed's Clearwater Revival. Um, mm. So that, great that song. yeah, song. Great. I, I made, you know, the song choices were the most important things. Did you have quite a lot of input on, on what you were able to sing? Did you, or did they choose, you know, did they say, oh, you can't do that one or were they quite flexible? Um, it was, it was very flexible because in the sense that the, the producer told me, listen, I, I, I love your style and I love your taste in music and I want you to tell me what songs you want to sing and as, as long as I can uh, approve them legally for TV yeah, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, let, yeah. we'll let you sing these songs so um, well, that's good so all, all those songs were 100 100% my input um, there, there was no one that that chose songs for me although at one point it was it was a little interesting. Um, some of the producers on the, you know, on the other end of the show and some of the people from Capitol, which we'll get into, where we're trying to come in and uh, say weird things like, hey, J- uh, Jesse, why don't you make your own version of uh, this Kanye West song? And I said, Kanye, Kanye West, are you kidding me? Do you really, <laughs> do, do you really picture me singing a Kanye West song? I mean, does that does that make does, does no. that make any sense to you at all? No, the, it, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think one of the suggestions was Sam Smith, uh, and you know, I you know Sam Smith has an okay voice. I, I don't think it's I don't think his songs are right for me. But uh, they, they were just making some weird suggestions at at, at some point, um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so that that was it. Got a little funny at that point. Um, but but in general, the whole show experience was fantastic. I, I it was really one of the greatest times that I've had. Uh, yeah, I mean the 
the judges, how were they as well? I mean, you had, was it Josh Brogan, wasn't it, presenting and Keisha and um, Ludacris? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was, you know, I, I wasn't sure how they were going to react to me. I, I, I had no idea. Um, I knew a little bit about the, the, the only judge I really knew a lot about was uh, Brad Paisley, because I've, I've seen him play guitar on a lot of uh, TV shows, and I, I've always known him as a great great country guitar player i mean yeah he, he's brilliant yeah. yeah great great guitar player i mean he he kind of sounds almost uh reminiscent to a guy like chet atkins you know when, he was one yes. of the best one yes. of the best uh country guitar players uh yeah. in history um the I, I didn't you know i remembered Ludacris from when i was uh in middle school i remembered like, the t-shirts and the uh, what's what's that song? The, the move move bitch song, whatever it is. I I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I you know I remember all that silly stuff, but I, I didn't really know much about his music. Uh, Kesha, I, I I I didn't really know much about Kesha either because I don't I don't really listen to modern uh, the, the the mainstream modern. Uh, what do you call that style? The electronic uh, pop stuff, the EDM yeah, pop and yeah, yeah. EDM. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't really know much about EDM, so I I. I I think I remember the one song by Kesha, the, the the song where she's talking about the P Diddy or whatever. I I think I I think I, yeah. I, think I remember yeah, yeah. that song, but I, I didn't really yeah. know much about okay. her. Josh Groban, uh, obviously I knew, uh, he, obviously uh, because he's known as a great singer here in America. I mean, he's one of the uh, best cl- classical crossover singers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I actually got along with him great, and um, after the show, he was the only judge that I actually, or, or person rather, that was involved with the show, celebrity, that I kept in touch with. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, out of, that's cool. Yeah, out of, yeah, out of all the out of all the judges, he was the one that I uh, kept in touch with. Although uh, during the show, I actually performed with Brad Paisley. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, there's there's actually videos of it on YouTube. It was the final week of the show. And the show, the Rising Star show, flew me out to from LA to New Jersey to perform at Brad Paisley in the PNC Bank Art Center. Um, wow! So we oh, were. Oh, that's very cool. Yes, that you know, speaking of an experience with the judges, that's that's probably the best one. I mean, we we performed in front of about uh, eighteen thousand people that night. Um, wow! Uh, and that's uh, amazing. And we. Decided on two songs we performed together. We we did "Whipping Post" by the Almond Brothers and "Pride and Joy" by Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah, which kind of "Pride and Joy" is more, uh, you know, rooted in what Brad Paisley does. You know, it's, it has a little bit of a countryish vibe to it, um, with with that Texas blues thing that Stevie Ray Vaughan used to do. So we yeah. we, we had a ball doing that. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, the, the experience with the, the judges were great. I I really got along with them. And uh, uh, I I really admired all of them um, in that situation, for sure. And I think, you know, I suppose really touching on the good point and touching on the negative point, Jesse, what what happened about the label situation? (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. This is the big one. (laughs) Well, the the experience from day one never worked. The the capital deal was one of the prizes for winning the, uh, the show. Uh, however, my artistic vision and, and theirs, it was so far apart in almost every way that the partnership was just unworkable. I mean, we had, you know, it was diametrically opposed. I, I mean, I, I can't 
I can't explain it any better. Um, obviously, it was devastating emotionally, and you know, and professionally, especially after coming off the high of winning Rising Star. And people don't realize it's it's not easy to just go from all that being on TV every week and then coming off of that high and going back home and having to worry about all these things. You know, is this deal going to work out? Is it, is this going to work out? Um, and it, it obviously it was just it was just hard because uh, the country made it so clear in their weekly voting what kind of music they were voting for. Um, Yes. And, and what they so desperately wanted. Um, and I, I think that they were coming from a point where they wanted an artist that was real in every way. Uh, but mm -hmm. for some reason, it was just ignored, somehow ignored. And Were they trying to take away, you know, obviously strip you right back and just mold you into something that they, they wanted rather than asking you, you know, and, and knowing who you are as an artist as well? Because obviously what you were doing on the show, you know, people were loving that. You know, the old school, the rock and roll, you know, the classics, the, the, you know, the real musicianship. So, you know, what, what sort of sound were they trying to get out of you genre wise? Was it trying to take you completely in a different direction? Yeah, it was, that's exactly the point. I mean, they, they one of the people from I think I don't remember. They told me I was a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. And it, just, it, it bothered me because it's just like you saw the proof. You saw the proof. People voted every week and they told you what they wanted. And usually a, 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 a company goes by what the public wants. Yeah, and I, I, again, I echo that as well, Jesse. I think without me being disrespectful to the major labels, they are very, very good at what they do, but they also sometimes get lost in translation. I think they just want to hit numbers for shareholders. Uh, there's no development anymore. You coming off a show like that, the obvious question would be from a label perspective is do what you're good at because the agent would be saying to you, go out and perform in front of 30, 40, 50,000 people and I can I can book you for another 50 shows. That's what an agent will want to do. That's what the fans want to see. But sometimes I think labels have got lost in translation because they just rely on their back catalogue, Jesse, to, to such an extent they don't put any A&R, they don't do any development, they don't, the marketing and PR are so expensive. So you just end up having a load of people running around big major labels that really don't know what they're doing or or they think they know what no, they're doing. No, I mean, I, and I, I, I've had a lot of, uh, I, I met a lot of people there. Um, and especially on the A&R side, I think that a lot of these A&R people, uh, they don't really know anything about music. They, they, they know what sounds hip to their ear and they know what yeah. sounds, you know, uh, what, what's going on on the radio. Um, but I don't, I don't really think they, they're mu real music people uh, in their heart, if you know what I mean. Um, no. And, no. and, I, and I, I really found it interesting what you said about the major labels because I think that, I think what happened, you know, in 1999 with the advent of, you know, downloading music on the computer, yeah. I think, yeah. I think uh, you know, major labels lost a lot of money. And I don't think that they, they just hand out a hundred, you know, an a hundred, hundred thousand dollar recording budget to some band anymore and say, yay, you know, go in a studio, pick a producer and make some music and come back to me. You know, uh, everything is very, very controlled now. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the labels they have, one of the major problems that I have is that labels have all the control over the songwriting. I mean, when I was on Capital for that short period of time, 
they wanted me to work with all these co-writers and producers and mm. j- just kind of fall into the formula of, uh, say, a Taylor Swift or, a, a, I, I don't know, a Bieber or whatever. And Demi Lovato, whatever these artists are doing now where they work with five producers and five co-writers. Um, and that's, yeah. not, that's not really the way I work. I, I don't really, I don't, I'm not really familiar with that mold and, and, and doing things that way. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, record labels, they, they sign these artists and they, they just, they have these hired songwriters uh, that they assign to the artist. And... They, they try to make something and cut something um, just to, to fit the radio mold, which is, you know, I mean, obviously that, that's, that's been done for years. I mean, you, uh, since the 50s, I mean, you, you, you write songs that kind of fit in the mold, but uh, I think it's gotten just far worse uh, in, in this day and age. I mean, I, I think everything sounds so generic on the radio. and it, it, Everything just sounds that everything sounds the same. No, I don't hear any identity. Uh, no one, no one really has an identity in that in that part of the music industry in the uh, EDM pop. Uh, uh, you know, with, with the a lot of these mainstream artists are doing it, it, the the production all sounds the same. It sounds generic. It just sounds like the same person produced it, and yeah. you you hear the same recycled songs. It's just that it 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 drives you crazy. And I just think that mm-hmm. right now um, we're the world, I mean, I, it's kind of crying for a renaissance in music. It's just something, something, uh, something uplifting and, and, you know, kind of like what happened in the 60s. I mean, you just had so many different genres of artists that broke, broke, you know, writing their own songs and creating unique productions. I mean, from folk to rock to country to, it was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah know, I, I mean, I, I agree. And I think from a perspective of bands that I've seen over the years, Jesse, I think the one that sticks in my mind, I've seen some great unsigned bands perform, but the one that always tends to stick with me is I always remember seeing David Bowie. You know, David Bowie mm. for me was just David Bowie, just phenomenal mm. what he's done. Yeah, you know, he was an you know? Ori- he was a true original, a, tr- a true original. Um, yeah. I, I definitely no one like him, that's for sure. No, <laughs> no, I don't think we'll ever find anyone else like him, will we? <laughs> I mean, he, guy, the guy... The guy wrote some great songs, and he also thought he was from uh, another planet. So, uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you d- definitely, yeah, you're definitely never going to find a, uh, another artist like that. That's for sure. Um, no, no. I mean, even when you when you look back, I mean, I was talking about how everyone kind of had an identity in terms of sound in the '60s, but if you also look back to the '90s, I mean, what was going on in the '90s? The music. Uh, if you listen to radio, popular radio from the '90s, and compare it to now, everyone sounded like themselves back then. I, I can't say yes. I. I don't know what it is, what happened in popular music, but in this day and age, I, I just can't tell the difference uh, between uh, some of these artists that are on the radio. It's crazy. No, no, they all sound. You know, it's either like someone who's got a really quirky voice or whatever, and then they you just hear about ten of them, and you think, whoa, you know, no one's got you like you say their own identity. So it's just it's just the craziest thing, and I don't I don't know if it's my ear or it's it's just like if you if you compare it, it it's it's crazy, and I think I even saw um, I even saw and this is interesting because I'm not really a rap person. I don't know a lot about rap, but I saw a video of Snoop Dogg 
where he was talking about um, rap music, comparing the music, the rap music from the 80s and 90s to the rap music now. And he said, you know, I back then when I when I was starting, he said, you know, everyone had their own sound. You can tell the difference. People sounded similar, but no one sounded the same. He said that I found that very interesting. Actually, one rapper, actually, yeah, I used to love was Eminem. And right, right. sound, you know, you know, as soon as a song comes on, yeah. you hear some of these, you know, sync um, placements in film and TV. And I, and I hear one of his tracks and it really stands out because you can recognize his voice and his sound. It's unique. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it, like I remember when he came out and there was no one. I, I didn't True. hear anyone that sounded like that at the time. I mean, he sounded, I mean, the song, what was that? Lose Yourself, uh, that that, yeah. that yeah. stuff yeah. was so, so unique and cool. I, I, I'll, I used to love all those songs. And it's just yeah. crazy. And then, and, and, and Snoop, he said that these, these mumble rappers now, these guys that just do that syncopated rhythm to the, you know, the, 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 the that, that, that rhythm that you hear all the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is so irritating to, to listen to. And they just, it's just, you hear the same thing. It just all sounds the same. It's crazy. And I, I don't know if this is something that happened after the nineties, like after 1999 or something, it just, it just got worse and worse after the nineties. I don't know what it is. Well, I think, again, it's a big subject that we, we can all, you know, discuss and go forward. And it, it, it is really interesting. And I, I remember sitting in meetings and with labels and when the download era came, the internet came, and they all sort of buried their head in the sand. And you sort of think, mm, you know, you're actually going to make this decision and look at what's happened. I think, you know, it, when you find a gem in, in the... I suppose a gem in the stone and you want to work with it and it's shining light, then you've got to sort of go with it rather than try and be generic. And I think with all the experience you've had, Jesse, with the show and growing up and playing in bars and clubs and then getting signed to a major, what would be your one piece of advice that you'd give people wanting a career in this industry? Or is it one piece or two piece? What, what, what stands out for you there? Well, the most important thing is you have to have tunnel vision. I mean, you, you have to be locked and focused on what you want because if you if if you are thinking about anything else or thinking about doing something else it's going to be that much harder to make it in this industry i have to tell you mm. because going back to when i was a teenager um and I, I think this comes from my my family but i had a lot of discipline where i wasn't going out and drinking and doing drugs and hanging out in street corners and getting myself into trouble. I was home on the weekends working on music and singing and, and exercising my voice and writing songs, whatever I was doing. Um, and I think that's the reason why I've gotten this far, you know, uh, in, at 26 years old, because I had all that tunnel vision, even as a teenager. And if you don't have that, I, I, I honestly you have that much less of a chance of making it. I can assure you that. Um, and another thing is you, you have to have self-belief. And you have to wake up every day being able to look at yourself in the mirror and like what you see. That's, that's another thing. I mean, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people who just look at themselves in the mirror and they, they, they are unhappy with themselves. And I think that a lot of these artists in the industry, I mean, the, the, you see a lot of it in the pop world and, and you've, you've seen it in rock and roll. I mean, you've seen it happen to uh, Kurt Cobain or you've seen it happen to even yeah. someone, yeah. 
even someone modern, I mean, you, you hear a lot of these people complaining about depression or whatever, like Demi Lovato. And it's like, what is going on where these people look at themselves and they are so unhappy with themselves? Mm. And I, I think know. that, I think along the way, people give up a part of themselves. Uh, and they give up a part of themselves to the big machine. Um, and and time passes and they look at themselves and they don't feel like the same person they were before they were signed or before they got famous. And, yeah. you know, I've heard people like Katy Perry, they, stay, they, they say, you know, I feel like Katy Perry is just a character. I want to be, um, I, I, I forgot what her name was before she was uh, uh, Kate, Kate, Katy Perry, but she's, I just want to be that girl I was before I was Katy Perry so bad, you know? You hear people saying this because they, somewhere along the way, they sell out to get to where they are. And, um, and, and I think that some of these people, they really have trouble looking at themselves because they, they sell out a little bit. And I, I, I can, I can I just tell people, and especially, you know, teenagers, it's like there, there is this desperation and this big desire to, to be like these stars. And I'll do, you know, people think I will do anything to make it. I'll do and I'll sign any contract. You, you got to get out of that mentality. You can't just go and sign anything you want because you are going to regret it so bad later in life. I mean, you, you've seen it. You've seen it from artists like Ke what people like Kesha are going through um, where you get so badly taken advantage of just because you have this desire to be famous. I mean, the, 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 the desire to be famous has to be second to the desire to make great art. I think making great art should be your priority because Definitely. the world has way too many people who are just dying to make be famous and, and just put anything on, on, on the radio and, and uh, you know, and just get to where they want to be. But I think what the world is missing is people who are just want to take a little bit more time and just focus on making great music and great art. Yeah, that's good. Really good points of advice there, really. And it is time, isn't it? It's, it's a gradual thing. It's, it's not something that you can be an overnight success, is it? No, and I think, and I think that a lot of these people who have had overnight success were you know, people like Cobain, where they just went from being some bum in their basement to being the biggest band in the world, they, they fall apart a little bit mentally because mm. they just didn't have the time to uh, 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 develop and, 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 and just really, uh, like, like I said, uh, take the ride gradually, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. you even look at people like Bieber, who became famous way too young. I mean, this, this guy became famous at 15. Mm. And He's, he's having all these, these issues now, mental issues. And I, th and I think the, the problem with a guy like him is he didn't really have the time to develop his own mind and his own beliefs and his own, his, his own set of morals, I think. He, he just kind of became what everyone else wanted him to become and what the world thought of him. Um, you, and you just kind of become a character, uh, caricature of what the world wants you to be and what people are saying about you on social media. Um, and I think in a way, although I wish things would have happened earlier for me, um, I, I'm kind of glad that I had a lot of time to form my own opinions, get, get a lot of experience, form my own mind, my own beliefs, my own moral compass. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing 
um, it's people who really make it young, like especially in the Disney world and uh, and just in general in the music industry, they're 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 missing that development. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with that, and I think some of the it's actually really quite refreshing as well, Jesse, because some of your thoughts that you're saying today have been with me, and I've had major arguments with people over the long time I've been in this business, and. They don't listen. I, I had a band years ago and they used to say to me, they're, they're a punk rock band, a good band. Oh, we're just going to walk into William Morris and get an agent. And I said, mm, yeah, OK, good luck with that one. Well, 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 what do you know? It's you know, blah, 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 blah. And you sort of you just have to let the band go through that process. And two years later, the lead singer phoned me up and said, oh, we've all disbanded. We're not doing anything more and I'm fed up and I'm not writing any more music. And I said, OK. Uh, you, know? You, it's, you know what it is? I got to be honest with you. People do not realize what they're getting into. They they, they just they look. You know what? I think the main problem is it's also the way the media portrays things in movies. Yeah. I mean, you see you see movies where about famous bands where, you know, uh, you know, the band will go play in a club on the on the L.A. you know Sunset Strip. Some guy in a suit with a cigar will come up to them and say, "Oh, you boys sound fantastic. Uh, let's let's go let's let's go cut a record and then." In the next scene of the movie, they're in a studio recording, and then all of a sudden they're the biggest band in the world. I mean, I don't think people realize uh, what a process it actually is to be a, a major artist, a major world artist. It, it 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 can blow up overnight, but it, for most people, it takes time and it takes effort yeah. and it takes it takes it takes tunnel vision, and you can't just expect um, you know to walk into William Morris or ICM and and. And some guys say, "Oh, you bought, you you sound fantastic. Let's go. Uh, let's make you the biggest artist in the world." And a week later, you're the biggest artist in the world. It's just not going to happen that way. No, no, no it's no. not. And I think people have to go. You know, like you said, I think there is there is a renaissance coming. And I do think that the way that the record industry changed, and maybe the way that COVID's changed the world, I do think change does have to happen. And I think no matter what we do, whether it's going to watch theatre or film or a live show, live gig. People want that experience and generally the public will tell you what they like. Mm. And then you, unfortunately the labels mold the artists into something that they want because they just sit as a, you know, as a manufacturing train. Um, and we all know right. that pop music makes money very, very quickly. But over time, over a period of time, it's rock, um, even classical and country that just outweighs it, strips it to yeah. bits because of because well, it's slow it, burns. You know what? And I, and I don't want to, it's, it's not that I don't, you know the word pop is it's got it's getting a bad rap now because yeah. of what people hear on the radio but when you when you hear the word pop it just really represents popular music so when you look back in time the music that we we love is is was considered pop music back then yeah. you know what i mean yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. um so it, it just got i think that we need a kind of renaissance and enlightenment to give pop music a better name if you know what i mean it's true um, <laughs> yeah um, but, but i actually found it fascinating what you said peter um about you, you know rock and classical i mean a lot of these there is a market for the great thing about 2020 growing up in this time period is that i think there is actually a market for everything now where in in the old days although we were getting a lot of you know better quality art i just think that in this day and age is now a market for everything yeah I, yeah I think there's a market for classical i think there's a market for rock i think there's a market for country there is you yeah. you can go in any direction and i and i i actually i have to say 
I think this is, although that I criticize a lot of the way things are, I think this is the greatest time in history to be an artist and to try to make it um, because just because I think that there are so many different avenues and ways that you can go. And I think there are there's there's just a market for everything now. There is, and I mean, you know, with social media now, you know, you, it's so much more accessible, isn't it? As well, I mean, you know, we're having a chat now. You know, you can yeah. talk with anybody, and you can collaborate right. with anybody. You know, you've got Zoom, you've got Skype. It, the list goes on, and it's it's great. And no, and no, although I make the point that the the, the record industry side of things were better um, creatively back then, um, when we're talking about the twentieth century. I just think that with all the technology and all the, you know, all the avenues you can go, it, it is the greatest time to be an independent artist. I mean, between being able to buy recording equipment for your house, like Pro Tools and a mixing board, or promoting yourself on Instagram, and uh, you know, and just like I said, there being a market for everything. It's just, I, I think that people shouldn't focus so much on being a Madonna or a, a, a Michael Jackson or go down an avenue and just focus on making great art and see where that great art takes you. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And I think don't try and fit into a box because the box doesn't exist. And I think if you, if you compromise your position too early, then you're actually going down the road with the devil and the devil's not a good place to be. Oh yes. And that, and that, that that exists. I mean, and I, I know we're talking metaphorically or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah. there, there there is a devil in this world, and it, and it, it is yes. it, it's that exactly. It's an attack on the soul and your mind. It's yeah. It's that desire to 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 give up yourself and sell out to be something you're not. And I think over history, Jesse, as well, if you look at the great film actors, um, the great sportsmen and sportsmen and women, they were given time. They were given time to develop. That's why they've ended up being legends. And it's the same with being, you know, huge rock stars like The Who or U2 or Elvis. Um, they they were given time to actually hone their craft. And mm. unfortunately, that's what not people are able to do now. And I do tend to agree. I think it is the right time. I think if people enhance technology, as Becky quite rightly said, we're talking to you, you know, 7,000 miles away, we, we wouldn't be able to do that back in the 50s, 60s and 70s. So I think you've got to embrace technology mm. and use it for good. Because I think it... it... Ima- I, I imagine if we did an interview by Morse code. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So looking at, I suppose, going back and looking at your experience and your journey, Jesse, how have you coped with being away from home? Have you stayed away long periods from home when you've been touring or doing shows? Have you had to cross America? Obviously coming over to London, how... How was the journey and how did you cope with not being being at home? Well, because of some of the setbacks and the harsh realities of the COVID pandemic, obviously this has not been <laughs> the case as late. But um, I, I, the thing is I always travel with a family member or two, which is great. Uh, my brother is actually my keyboard player. He's a just a fantastic uh, keyboard player. Um, so I travel with him. So I, I do always have someone around me that that, you know, like a family member or a friend, you know, someone. Um, and just in general, though, I, I love traveling now. I mean, when I was a teenager, I, I was kind of a homebody where I, I liked being home and I liked, um, you know, just being in my music room. But I, now I feel like my my growth is kind of just more out in the world. I've, I've kind of done the, 
sitting around learning and and um, perfecting my craft and, and uh, you know sitting in the music room and for hours. Do I think my my growth now and, and learning is going to be out in the world and, and through traveling and, and performing um, and, and and just just getting out more. So uh, there's a there's a really a real excitement uh, when it comes to traveling now at you know at 26 years old. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think, as I say, grab the bull by the horns when when COVID goes and we're all able to you know travel again freely. I think the world is our oyster, and I think it's just just a great place to be and a great place to learn from different cultures. And and one thing that unites us all, Jesse, music. No matter where you go, you'll end up seeing a band perform, or you're going to a club, and you think, "Well, oh, that was great." Yeah. It's music that tends to unite everybody. It does. Really. It brings everyone together, doesn't it? It's a feel good, isn't it? It it, it does. You know, in this day and age, you just have to try to. I mean, it's it's good to be worldly and to pay attention to things that are you know world events, but um, I think in general, um, I think every things are way better than they used to be. In, in, in all aspects of the world. I mean, it, it, we, we are we are a very, very lucky generation uh, of people. And I think that uh, to get away from a lot of the things you're seeing, I think music is a great outlet, for sure, to, to, to bring people together. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And Absolutely. I mean, you know, with music aside, have you, uh, have you got any hobbies that you like doing in your spare time have you got anything other than music or is it everything just music music <laughs> well, you know i mean obviously music is what consumes my time but you know i yeah i do love to you know something else i you know i love to go to broadway shows i mean that that's something i i try to do every now and then um i'm, I'm very attracted mm-hmm. to the art so if i'm in the city you know uh, i i try to catch a good broadway show um and I, I know you asked me something other than music, but I, I, I think it's the closest thing. Yeah. But um, I, you know, I love, I also love nature. So, in my spare time, I love to go walk on the beach, go on the boardwalk. Um, I love, I love to go to parks and 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 take walks in nature. Um, um, that you know, I, I love animals. I love reading. Yeah, I was going to say, have you got um, any pets? Have you got? Do you walk your dog or anything? <laughs> well, I think you might have heard my dog earlier in the interview. He was. Uh, I yeah. did hear a little bit, actually. I was going to say. Yeah, I have. Uh, I have an Australian Shepherd. Oh um, wow! Lovely. Yeah, he's he's a, a tri-colored Aussie. Um, he's oh he's a, fantastic. Yeah, he's a beautiful animal. Um, and he he's been such a joy uh raising, and it's um. That's been a great experience for me because I, I got him at uh, about nine weeks old, so oh, cool. I, I I've had I kind of have had an experience of raising a puppy, um, so he's kind of like my baby almost. It's it's just yeah. like yeah, <laughs> by your side all the time. Yeah, I, I've raised him, and you know it, it, it's just it's different. You know when you get a dog at say two years old rather than. Uh, and, and then comparing it to raising a puppy from nine weeks old, it's it's just a completely different experience, you know. Um, yeah. it, it's but it, it's been a joy raising my, my dog for like the past four years, really. They're great companions, and they and they they know your mood as well. They know when you're a bit fed up or if you're up, and they just they just and they don't argue, Jesse. They just sit there and, and just say, <laughs> they don't ask, oh, I don't know, yeah. that. No. Uh, <laughs> I have to beg to differ. My dog argues. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So, 
looking at everything you've done and you you know for a 26 year old you packed in an awful lot what's next for jesse what can we see next you know what i i'm very optimistic that the best is yet to come that's, that's all i could say i mean i have several festivals scheduled for this spring and summer which is great um because we're, we're all assuming that there's going to be a vaccine for the COVID pandemic and yes. we're, we're going to have all this under control. Um, so I, I'm already booking a lot of festivals around uh, America um, and really going to go all out next spring and summer with that. Uh, I'm going to do as much performing as possible. Um, and I, I definitely want to get a lot of this new music I'm recording out there, whether it's an EP or an LP. And like I said earlier, I just I, I think I'll, the most important thing for me right now is to find a competent team, just a, a team of doers that can get things done. Yeah, it's it's so important, isn't it? It's like what we touched on earlier. It's it is having that right team, and you know, it's like having a, a family, really, isn't it? People that you can talk to and that get get you really and who you are as an artist. So you know, um, it sounds like you you know you can totally hear you've got your head totally screwed on and you know exactly what you want and who you are and and we think you're fantastic so you know we we do we really love what you're doing oh th thank you guys so much that that means the world and i i'm uh, also very eager to get back to the uk so let's make that happen well absolutely yes. and i think maybe get a get a collaboration with duffy and you know maybe headline the royal albert hall something like that that sounds pretty you know? that sounds pretty easy i'm sure anyone can do that right <laughs> yeah <laughs> well yeah we'll just as you know we'll just rock up and say we're here but as you know, it's devil in, <laughs> devil in the detail, as they say. Right. No, well, anything's possible, isn't it? Anything's possible. Though. Any with the right minds and the right people, anything's possible. That's very true. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, last of all, really, Jesse. I mean, where can our listeners connect with you online? Uh, you know, on social media or website. Well, uh, I have all that same stuff everyone else has. I got, I got Facebook. I've got Instagram. I've got uh, YouTube. So you, you can find me anywhere. I mean, uh, my, my Instagram account <laughs> my Instagram account is uh, Jesse Kinch Music, uh, J E S S E K I N C H Music. Um, Facebook is uh, Jesse Kinch Rocks. Uh, I think Twitter is just plain Jesse Kinch. Um, and then uh, I got a a YouTube channel with about a hundred videos. So. Um, there's a, there's a lot to see there, so yeah. So people can find you. There's no yeah. problem, basically. No. Yeah, 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 as you can tell, I'm very hard to find on the internet. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's brilliant. No, that's really good, and and I think really just to um, just to really thank you, Jesse, for coming on the show, and it's been a real pleasure to um, talk to you today on the Entertainment Engine, and we wish you all the greatest success in the world, and fighting for real music, and I think that's where we're all at, I and mean, it's all coming back, and I think. Yeah, you just got to keep rocking, my friend. Just keep rocking. Yeah. Keep doing what you I, I just want to thank you guys because you, you have been great, great uh, hosts here. And uh, you made me feel right at home at this interview. Thank you. Oh, no, it's our pleasure. That's, that's great, Jesse. And, um, you know, we'll always love to have you back, you know, down the line. You know, keep us updated on things, you know. Oh, absolutely. I hope we can keep in touch. And uh, Absolutely. And uh, if I'm, you know, let, uh, I'll get over to the UK as soon as I can and uh, do a show and have you guys there. I'll be great. Fantastic. Yeah, we look forward to that. Yeah, it was really great to have Jesse as a guest on the show. And I think there's a lot of lessons and information for people to learn. You know, going on a major show like Rising Star and then being signed to a major label and then coming through the other side and um, still having the passion and enthusiasm and energy to release music. So we really applaud that. And we just really look forward to catching up with Jesse again really soon. And now I'm going to pass over to Bex for this week's Fact of the Day. 
facts of the day. There are quite a few musicians who have used pseudonyms, from Prince, Alton John, Taylor Swift to Harry Styles and Coldplay. Musicians are known to do this to hide behind different names to anonymously write music with somebody else or even just to experiment with different music genres. For example, Prince, during the 1980s, wrote dozens of songs for other artists, including Kenny Rogers, Sheena Easton, The Bangles and Cyndi Lauper, under a variety of names, including Joey Coco, Alexander Nevermind and Jamie Starr. And now, let's have a quick recap onto last week's question of the day. Which singer appeared on stage at both Wembley and Philadelphia during the Live Aid concert? And the answer is Phil Collins. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Entertainment Engine, and thanks for listening. Join us again next week when we discuss all aspects of sync licensing music for film, television and gaming. So be sure to tune in to next week's episode. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow The Entertainment Engine on Facebook and Twitter for all the latest updates. It would be great to have your feedback on the show, so you can always drop us a message at any time. That'd be great. Thanks for listening to the show and stay safe. The Entertainment Engine.